It's very strange to say this because China is the origin of COVID-19, but China probably resembles more like normal life than many countries around the world. If you walk onto the streets of Beijing or Shanghai or even Wuhan, I think today things would look pretty normal. Katrina Yu is an Australian journalist who's been in Beijing covering China's coronavirus outbreak for Al Jazeera. There, the new cases are dropping, and the number of locally transmitted cases has gotten as low as single digits. So now, she's covering its next phase, the new normal. The city has come back to life. More restaurants have been opened. And now, as we record this, business is back to full-time hours. It's, it's open as it was before. The traffic is certainly back as it was before. You go out and it feels like normal life with certain coronavirus caveats. Caveats like everyone is wearing masks. Everyone. And everywhere they go, they have their temperatures checked. And their comings and goings are tightly monitored. But other than that, it kind of feels like things are going again. That's inside China. But outside... China is banning all foreigners from entering in a bid to stem the number of imported infections. A recent rise in COVID-19 infections in China has been linked to people from abroad. The Chinese government is worried there could be a second wave and has stepped up its scrutiny of foreigners. Around the world, the pandemic has been a vector for fear, and not just fear of the virus. We've heard stories of anti-Asian racism in country after country. And as China focuses on cases coming in from outside, a fear of foreigners is rising to the surface. That's even though the vast majority of those cases come from Chinese who are returning from abroad. The xenophobia is hitting certain communities hard. There's a city called Guangzhou in southern China, and it has a large African population that's faced a lot of xenophobia in the last few weeks. Some people said they had been kicked out of their homes. Others said they weren't allowed to leave them. I never traveled outside China, but now even the women that work in our dormitory doesn't want to come close to us African people. And we are not allowed to do anything. We can't go out to buy food. Everywhere we go, we cannot stand up to three hours or two hours in one place. They will start chasing us around. We don't have house. We don't have food. We don't have anywhere to go. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. So I want to start by asking about life in China, which is ahead of the curve of much of the world when it comes to this pandemic. What is it like for your life to slowly be opening back up? Well, Beijing is notoriously known for its bad air, for its smog. But even living here for seven years, even at the height of bad smog, the worst days, you never saw every single person wearing a mask. But today, walking around the street, everybody has a mask. They've actually considered not wearing masks uncivilized behavior in Beijing. Mm. And in China, wearing a mask, it isn't 
just about protecting yourself. It's kind of like a symbol of solidarity, as in there's this coronavirus fight. Everybody needs to pull their weight. We all know this is bad and this is serious, and therefore we're all going to wear a mask. And you feel these days naked without it because you're just so used to wearing it. And people will look at you if you're not wearing one. And inevitably, walking down the street, inevitably, somebody is going to call you out for not wearing one. It's one thing to wear a mask as a sign of solidarity. But China's also introduced several strict measures to keep transmissions down. One of them is widespread temperature checks. The temperature checks, that is new. They have uh, the gun thermometers where it's Mm -hmm. like using some sort of light to do your temperature And the idea, in theory, although I've never seen this actually happen, is that if you have a temperature of over 37.5, or in some places it's 37.3, they will ask you to stay and they will report you to some authority who will then come and collect you Mm. because you have a high temperature, which Mm. led me and all my colleagues to be afraid of having a high temperature for any reason. Of course. And I, I actually have a thermometer that I keep in my bag because if I do have a temperature, I don't want somebody else to decide which hospital I go to. Right. And the other thing where you go into a store is that everywhere you go, you must register your details and you fill in typically your number, your passport number your name and your temperature, as was checked by the attendant. So are you being registered with the government or who are you registering with? Local authorities? You're registering registering with that business. And this is, as I understand it, a measure implemented by the government saying, if you want to be open at this time, you must strictly monitor your customers for contact tracing and they can be tested or isolated. So that's the idea. This level of contact tracing for possible infections may sound like surveillance. And that's because it is. But it's a trade-off that's contributed to ending the physical lockdown. And as that lockdown recedes, it's left a lot of emotion in its wake. We got some stories via voice message from foreigners living in China of the discrimination they faced. You get the metro sometimes and you'll sit down And it'll be an incredibly crowded metro, but no one will sit on the bench that you're on. People would rather stand and not look at you. I've also got in elevators a couple of times and people have sort of looked wide-eyed with terror (laughs) and and walked out of the elevator. Um, I've had a friend, a friend of a friend, who's actually moving apartment complex because people have been shouting at them that they should go back to their own country. That was David, who's from the UK. This is Elka a Belgian who lives in Beijing. Each neighborhood has a local committee that registers people when they re-enter China and makes sure they stay inside for two weeks. But when Elke came home, a guard in her residential compound didn't believe that she had registered. There is no Chinese that uh, would experience the same as me where they would not believe that the person didn't register at the local committee. There is no reason to not believe me. Katrina knew plenty of stories too, but she said that to understand where the xenophobia is coming from, it's important to know what the lockdown means to people in China. There is this narrative here in China that tens of millions of people in Hubei province were forced indoors for three months. Now, this wasn't the kind of lockdown that you're seeing in many Western countries. This is like 
you were not allowed to leave your front door. You had guards everywhere. So this lockdown was endured at great personal and economic cost to these people. And there's this really grand narrative here in China of this sacrifice that people paid so that the rest of China could feel more safe and so that the rest of the world could feel more safe. And the fact that China is going again, the fact that the transmission numbers are going downwards, it's seen as this great triumph because of this sacrifice. So now uh, we are not under lockdown anymore, but people still have to be very careful. We cannot waste what was gained because of this solidarity and this sacrifice. And now we are seeing this rise in imported cases and still people want to be very vigilant. But there have been examples of foreigners who don't want to play by the rules, who argue with the authorities because they're trying to defend their own personal rights. You get individuals who feel like you don't strictly have to follow some of these rules or not following the rules to a T. And that has really created this storm of anti-foreigner sentiment here in China around COVID-19. I want to talk to you about this cartoon that's been circulating on WeChat and other places online. And it depicts different kinds of foreigners as trash to be sorted. One of the offenses is a foreigner who violates Chinese quarantine regulations by leaving home to pick up a delivery without permission. Or a foreigner who refuses to wear face masks and offends medical workers. Can you go through it with me? Can you explain what it's depicting? So the important context to know here is that China is introducing a new trash sorting system. Finally, it's never had any sort of trash sorting policy. And there have been memes and videos and cartoons circulating to try to you know, teach people how to sort their trash into four different categories, dry trash, wet trash, recyclable and hazardous trash. And what this cartoon does, it plays on the trash sorting memes, but in a very kind of offensive way. So what you have basically are two figures, presumably Chinese, one in a hazmat suit with some sort of weapon or pole and another white cap, white hoodie, dragging a black man to put him into one of those bins. And then spraying that bin with the foreigner in it, presumably with some sort of disinfectant. Um, so clearly very racist, very offensive and very loaded cartoon. And how is it playing online? People are very emotional about this issue. And, and that's why you see cartoons like this. There is a lot of resentment from local Chinese against foreigners who they believe feel that they are exempted from the rules. People who come to live in China as expats, as foreigners, it's not so easy for everyone to get with the program here in China to sort of follow all these rules where it seems so draconian or it seems so unnecessary sometimes. And in China, because it is still also a developing country, you can get away with circumventing those rules sometimes. So my friends and I, we see memes like this taking out foreigner trash and we find it deeply offensive, but we also understand and we feel it's sad because the reality is that for every you know, misbehaving foreigner, there are dozens and hundreds of foreigners who are extremely respectful and do follow the rules and do want to be seen as 
contributing to the solution and not the problem. There's one group that's borne a lot of the brunt of this xenophobia, the Africans in Guangzhou. City leaders in southern China are denying allegations of coronavirus racism, insisting that foreigners are not being discriminated against. African students and expatriates have reportedly been evicted from their homes, tested for coronavirus several times, and are being shunned in public. We received messages at the take from people in Guangzhou who told us, you have to cover this. My name is Bob. I know you will excuse my English because I'm from Congo, I speak French. So I have been living in China, especially in Guangzhou, for more than two years now. Bob said people came to his apartment to test him for COVID-19. And even after he tested negative, they came back and said he had to quarantine. So I asked them, why do we have to quarantine? We didn't go out of China. We were here. I was here in Guangzhou for all this time of the pandemic. They just say, uh, no, after checking, you need to quarantine. That is a new policy for only Black people. Others were kicked out of their homes completely. And as this Guangzhou resident says, people are angry. They're like, oh, you have to do that, you have to do that, just follow the law. Yeah, we are following the law. What's happening now? We have been kicking outside for the street. How can we live? How can we? We are not a human or what? We are not an animal. How can human beings like, be acting like this? How can? How can? How can? Katrina has also been following the stories coming out of Guangzhou. And she says there's a history there. So Guangzhou is one of the biggest cities here in China. It's known as a manufacturing and trading hub in the south of the country. And for decades now, you've had a very established community of African traders coming to Guangzhou to work in import, export, and and buy products to sell to their home countries in Africa. People are used to seeing them there. There are some streets in Guangzhou which are full of African restaurants, African hairdressers, African grocery stores. They may be married to local Chinese. Their children go to local schools. They speak Mandarin or they maybe even speak Cantonese. So Guangzhou is kind of known across China as Little Africa or as Chocolate City because of the African community that are there and have been there for decades now. It was a kind of coexistence. But the coronavirus outbreak dealt that coexistence a heavy blow. There was a state media article that was going around where there was a story of five Nigerian men who apparently broke quarantine and they went to a restaurant. And apparently, I don't know how many of those men, but somebody in that group was positive for COVID-19 and ended up infecting the owner of that restaurant and her daughter. And because of that, that whole area was basically shut down for quarantine and a number of people were infected. And basically it sparked a whole lot of discriminatory behavior against a lot of the African community living in Guangzhou. So we were hearing reports and seeing photos of Africans, for example, being forced to stay overnight in the cold out on the street. They were being denied entry to shops and restaurants and stores. So we were hearing about these incidents day by day. 
to the point that ambassadors from some of these countries, for example, from Ghana, from Nigeria, from Kenya, they had raised complaints. I think one of the more striking videos that I saw from this was a video that's circulating on Twitter, and it shows Nigeria's Speaker of the House of Representatives speaking to China's ambassador. And not only is he speaking to him, at one point he actually pulls out a cell phone and he shows him some of those videos that are going viral and asks him to speak to them and, and, and explain what's going on and what they're going to do about it. Have you spoken to your Nigerian counterpart in China? Have you spoken to the Nigerian ambassador in China? No, no, no. I'm talking about this issue. Have you spoken to any official Chinese of the Chinese government in China? Uh, definitely. We have to, like I promised the foreign minister, we take the very. No, no, but you, but you have not. No, no, we can't do it. There's obviously a lot at stake here. China plays such a major role in so many African countries' infrastructure and economy. How does this impact their relationships? The view from Beijing is that Africa is extremely important to China. They're investing sometimes billions of dollars into single infrastructure projects. There was, I guess, on the whole, this kind of understanding that because some of these African countries are benefiting from this Chinese investment, that maybe critics would say they, they would turn a blind eye to some misbehaviors from the Chinese government. Which brings us back to the timing of this video. So what's significant about this video, I think, is that it's this kind of very public, publicly embarrassing kind of encounter for this Chinese ambassador that you may not have seen a few years ago. China's foreign ministry finally addressed some of these complaints and they, well, they admitted that there had been quote-unquote misunderstandings, mm. but they were also trying to downplay uh, this whole incident, saying that these were one-off cases, this is not something that was ever sanctioned by Beijing. We have always placed the utmost importance on the well-being and safety of foreigners living in China. So for now, it seems, it appears like those Africans who were mistreated, and it seems to have been addressed, but uh, it's sparked a diplomatic furor uh, between many African countries and China. I think it's kind of speaking to China's, not vulnerability, but kind of the shift in this attitude towards China that, you know, yes, the virus did come from China and that China does have to answer to this. We've been talking about xenophobia towards foreigners. And I have to ask you as well, because I know you've been in China now for just about seven years. How does that affect you personally? Do you ever feel any of the pressure yourself as an outsider? China is not a multicultural society in the way that Australia, the US, or the UK can say they're multicultural. People don't migrate to China and become naturalized Chinese citizens. So even though I've been here for seven years and my life is here, my work is here, my partner is here, my friends are here, there is never a time where I can consider myself Chinese, even though I also have Chinese ancestry. There is a very clear distinction in China between locals and foreigners. And so foreigners here 
you know, we love our life here. We love living in China, but we have to be aware that we have to play by the rules of the game, <laughs> the rules of the Chinese when living here. And I think for me, I am very conscious that the time of special treatment for foreigners in China is over, mostly. And that, you know, that if I do step out of line, there will be consequences for me and for my life here. It is a certain tension that you live with every day. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke and Priyanka Tilve, with Amy Walters, Nay Alvarez, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Nayna Desai and everyone who sent us voice notes for this episode, including Khalil, David, Bob, Kaven, and Elka. If you want us to cover a story, we're listening. Get in touch. Just tweet us at AJ the Take. We'll be back on Friday.